What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Renegade Marquee on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Join me, we've got Haley. Yo. And making their Renegade Pop Culture debut, please welcome Lego. Hello. And today we are talking about Stranger Things Season 4, Part 1. And we'll talk about that release uh, model in a minute. But first, I want to get your general thoughts on the series as a whole. Lego, I'll start with you. Your general impressions of the series prior to season four? Prior to season four, I think it is a phenomenally made show. Not the most unique thing in the world, but has absolutely lovable characters that keeps the story very compelling. Haley, what about you? So I I love Stranger Things. Um, I'm pretty well aware that it's got some glaring issues with it, uh, but I feel like it captures a really interesting vibe that not a whole lot of shows do. And I echo that the characters are amazing and that's kind of what's what keeps me going back to this show. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. What What hooked me in was the admittedly kind of gimmicky um like the gimmicky appeal of you know a show set in the 80s inspired by the mix of Stephen King meets Steven Spielberg but what kept me in through even the quote-unquote bad seasons were the characters and even 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 like seasons two and three I still thought were not perfect but the highs I thought were really high and the lows were not nearly as bad as everyone makes them out to be. So now we are in the fourth season, which just is probably like one of the like biggest seasons of television, probably since like the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones in terms of the size, the scale. I think each episode costs like, 30 million to produce which is a lot and then of course the episode lengths are all well over an hour with the last one being like feature film length so first first of all general impressions on season four before we dive too deep into spoilers Haley, what what about your uh, general impressions so i think this is the for me this would be the best season of stranger things i know there's going to be people who are like what about season one I'm like I think this is better than season one I don't think this is perfect there are some super glaring issues with this it's just kind of like the theme of stranger things it's like this is great but there's some super glaring issues with this but I think that they were able to use the longer run times really effectively in that I loved three out of the four or four out of the five storylines going on at the same time. And they they grouped the characters together well to like maximize how well those stories worked. Um, I think it does kind of, it does hit a low point in episode six. I think six feels like the episode that they have every season where everything's just kind of spinning its wheels. And I question the choice to split this into two parts, especially because the, ending of episode seven is just kind of there but otherwise like this is was like I was so clued into this it was very riveting 
And I feel like they're finally doing stuff with characters that they haven't done anything with in a while, which is part of why I liked it so much. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with that. And in typical me fashion, even though this was a longer, a longer sit, I still had to get the whole thing done in one day. My original plan was to <laughs> split this up in two days, but I was just like sucked right into the story that I kind of just wanted to finish it all in one sitting. Um, <laughs> Lego, Lego, what about you? This definitely felt like the most expensive season of Stranger Things by far. Uh, I, I really appreciate how they like really elevated the story because season three where it left off felt like a completion, like they could have just ended it there. So I was a little concerned coming back, like how are they gonna continue the story in a way that makes sense? And I think they did a really good job of it. And I deeply love this. I'm on my second watch, but uh, kind of like what Haley said, uh, there is, of, of the groupings, I really like, but there's one storyline that I'm utterly disinterested in, but all the rest is fantastic. I'm sure we'll get into that one in a second, but... <laughs> I hope yeah. we agree on which one it is. I'm just, I really hope, because I feel like no one else agrees with me on this one. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll see once we get there, but yeah, just echoing what you guys said, this is probably my favorite since, since the first. Um, Although I, I'm probably one of the bigger defenders of season three because probably because they, they made a bunch of Back to the Future references and that's one of my favorite movies. But this, this one, I really like the, the, like the way they leaned into the horror aspect even further. I think the big bad is, is far more compelling probably because he's more sentient than like the Demigorgon or the Mind Flayer. And also, yeah, like you guys said, the, uh, the different character interactions and even the new characters, one in particular, I'm sure everyone can guess which one's my favorite. It's Eddie Munson. So let, let's, let's now actually dive into each of these different storylines. So the main one, obviously, are the kids in Hawkins who are investigating, you know, all of these different killings of... The villain's name is uh, Lord, Lord, Lord Vecna, or just Vecna. How, how, do you, how do you guys feel, first of all, of, of uh, the design of Vecna? I think, I think the way they, um, they crafted this, this creature is, they, they did a really bang up job. Lego, what about you? I really felt like he looked, to me, really familiar. He looks a lot like this character, Molasser, from Michael Mann's The Keep, which is a very, very specific movie that I doubt many people have seen. But he looked kind of like that and kind of like a crossover between the uncle from Hellraiser, like after he'd had his skin flayed. Um, it's very intimidating, and I was so surprised that who the actor that they had in all the makeup, I was really surprised that was actually him because he seems way too small to be that intimidating, but he absolutely is. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised by that too. Like it, it's, it's, not, it's not just him in the makeup, but it's, it's the voice too that's... Yes. Mm -hmm. Kaylee, what about you? Are we going like full bore spoiler now? Or are we still trying to kind of keep um, back a bit? Yeah. Screw it. We'll we'll go we'll go all all in on spoilers. Okay, because 
I actually had the opposite reaction where I was like, as Vecna was wandering around, I'm like, this dude, this guy looks really familiar. And as soon as they showed the orderly, I was like, oh shit, duh. <laughs> the only dude that hasn't been accounted for in the credits, of course it's him. Um, I think the design of him is really effective though. I think it's a kind of a good combination of the kind of the uh, thematic elements that have already become associated with the upside down, like the vines and the interlacing, like uh, inhuman sort of like putty like qualities of like the mind flare and the and the locale of the upside down while also making them seem very human in some regards kind of reminded me of the creature from the black lagoon uh it does. definitely it does that sort of feel to it which i think works works really well with the fact that the upside down is kind of shown as a spore filled sort of swamp of horrors in a lot of regards I'm amazed. I'm amazed, but that's a practical effect. I looked that up. I thought for sure he had all the he would have had all the ping pong balls on him, but that was makeup, and I think that really adds to the effectiveness. Like just the practical effect of it all makes him feel a lot more real when he's threatening these children. Yeah, and just uh, Bauer's just an incredible actor. Uh, I feel like he's kind of been he's not had the most steady career, so it's kind of hard to forget that he's done a lot of really impressive work and this is some really impressive work especially with the physicality of the character i i was i was looking up earlier where like where i knew him from and it turns out he's he's kind of he's kind of been in all the young adult stuff he was <laughs> he was the young grindelwald in both deathly hallows and fantastic beasts and he was also a character in um in twilight and I forgot he was in Twilight. And he was in two different Shakespeare projects. He played he played a character in um the Roland Emmerich movie Anonymous. And he was in uh I don't know if you guys remember that like that limited series from 2017 just called Will. I don't. I do not. But he's also in uh, Sweeney Todd. Yeah, that was that was that was his first his first role. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought I thought he did a really good job in this. Mm -hmm. So we have we have the kids in in Hawkins, and one one of the one of the new characters that we meet is the leader of the D and D club, the Hellfire Club, Eddie Eddie Munson, who is played by let me get the actor's name, Joseph Quinn. Yes. If, if, if you know me, you, you, you know pretty well why he'd be my favorite character. Because, because of all the heavy metal aesthetic that he's got going on. I, like, I, I, I just took one look at him in the, in the season four trailer where he's, play, like, where he's like shredding in the, in the upside down. I'm like, yep, this is, this is it. This is my, I knew this was going to be my favorite. What about you guys? It uh, actually took me a little bit to warm up to Eddie as a character. I think one of my only issues outside of the main glaring, terrible plot line that I didn't like that we'll talk about later is that his intro is very oddly written considering the arc that he goes on through the rest of the uh, story. It's almost like he's too much of an ass in the beginning. So 
for a couple of episodes, I was sitting there wondering when the table was going to flip and we were going to see his actual personality again, kind of a thing. But once he started actually going on the journey with the rest of the kids, I was like, oh, okay, the, they were trying to misdirect us and it just kind of came off weird. And then I started, then I was like, okay, I like this guy. Because at first I was like, oh, this is just neuter Billy and I missed Billy. Like if they were going to do this, just uh, figure out a way to revive Billy. What they, that's not what they were going for. I do really like, I think the actor does a really good job with portraying Eddie's theatricality. Uh, it would have been easy to like not sell that very well, especially in the in the actual D and D game. And he did a really great job with that. And I think uh, it's it's a hard character to to na- to get uh, right and to nail kind of the emotional beats of. And I think I think the actor uh, Quinn he did a really good job. I, this is part of why I hate where this season ended. Because you could tell based on the stuff happening with him in the last episode that he that in the next whenever the next two episodes come out, he was really gearing up to be a huge part of that. And we we're really finally starting to get a sense of what what Eddie wants out of what Eddie wants out of this and where his trajectory is now going to lie. And then it's just like cut off. And I was like, they picked such an unsatisfying point to end this season. But yeah, I I would say I went lukewarm to good on him. So he's not my favorite of the new characters, but he's, I'm sure he'll grow on me just like Steve grew on me. I, I will, I will concede though, like what, watching the show, it, I was a little unsure, like his, his introduction, like the scene in the cafeteria, that was a little bit off, but when, once we actually yeah. watched, once we actually watched the campaign itself, I think <laughs> that's, that's when he really kind of found his voice. Like, oh, what about yeah. you? Oh, see, I do, I see it very differently. He definitely is my favorite new character, but the, his intro in the cafeteria where he's lowering his voice to read the article on DDD, that's a very conservative spin on it. While, um, what is it? I was a teenage werewolf by the cramps were playing from the get go. Mm. Like, okay, this is the kid. This is the guy. And then from there, he's just a spaz who gets wrapped up in this thing that is way too difficult for anyone to believe. And he's just trying to fight for his freedom. I'm here for this. Let's go to Mordor. He's he's such a sweetie. And I, I need him to be vindicated. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to... That being said, I'm going to be super mad if he dies. Like, oh, even oh, though absolutely. I'm not the most sold on him. Because that's just like... I'm like, don't kneecap this character like you did with... What's his name with the slushy from last season? Like, God, what was his name? Alexi? No. Yeah, no, yeah, it was Alexi. Yeah, Alexi, it was Alexi, okay. No, I, I agree with that. Like, I I really don't want them to kill off this character because he, he adds such a fun energy to the, like, the core cast. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good for Steve to have a motivation besides babysitting children. And I think Eddie does provide some sort of counterpoint to Steve's constantly just, like, exasperatedly following everyone around and Nancy's I'm gonna put my nose in everything and then I'm gonna get hurt or trapped or whatever and it's just like so we've got it's nice to have a kid that is realistically acting like oh my god this is not safe this is bad I'm afraid I'm going to run I don't know what to do with this with the information I'm being presented and I'm scared of it now the other new character we were introduced to was um Eduardo Franco as Argyle 
who is Jonathan's stoner buddy in California. You you guys have both seen Booksmart, right? Yes. I actually have not. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, he he kind of he kind of played a sim a similar character in Booksmart. So when when I saw him in, pop up in this, I'm like, oh, okay. So that's so that's what he's here for. And honestly, I I, I dig it. I like what he. I like what he brings to this subplot of the show. Lego, what what do you think of of Argyle? He's just really great comedy relief. I think the character is really fun. I love his relationship with Jonathan. I think Jonathan kind of more than Steve really needed someone to work off of rather than just being worried about Will Mm -hmm. all the time. And I love the reference because basically he's just the driver. So it's really kind of referencing Die Hard in that. I got, yeah, I think he's kind of fun. Not up to Eddie's level, but still solid. Haley, yeah, since I, I was gonna, I was just gonna ask since since you haven't seen Booksmart, what what did you think of of uh, this actor? If 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 this was your first impression of him, oh, I thought he was great. He was the one where the second he came on screen, I was like, okay, I I know this is a fairly stereotypical character, but he's doing something fun with it and is actually conveying some sort of nuance and relevance in his performance, which I found was, uh, it was really endearing. I'm glad that Jonathan has a friend. Uh, I, I agree fully with what like I was saying is that Jonathan is one of the most stagnant characters on this show and he still kind of is, but thank God we can break him out of the Will and Nancy, like aimlessly following Will and Nancy around kind of bubble so he can develop a little bit and I honestly it makes sense to me that he gravitated towards smoking weed because god if you had been through everything he'd been through in the past three years wouldn't you yeah it makes makes sense (laughs) yeah and and I think it adds a layer of needed humor and a lot of the stuff a lot of the teen angst drama going on with our other love triangle and I have so many thoughts about our other love triangle um and I think it actually as when their journey becomes clear what what's going to happen with the four boys trying to get to 11 he adds a lot by being kind of the counterpart to Eddie where it's like they know they Jonathan and Will and Mike know they can't explain this to Argyle like it's one thing to explain to Eddie who's been stuck in Hawkins for all the disasters that have gone down it makes it a little easier to swallow they have no way to explain this to Argyle at all so it it adds an interesting layer of like they're telling this person they need this person to work with them but they can't fully reveal like who they truly are which is a a theme that's running through everything happening in California the need to obfuscate your true feelings and your true, your true identity and your true emotions. So I think on a narrative level, he works really well. I also just find it really funny. I thought it was great when he was like making a tombstone for the secret agent guy and he's going to write all their names on it. And I can't remember if it's Will or Mike who was like, why are you going to write all our names on it? They're going to find us. And he just keeps blasting on with writing all their names on it. (laughs) He's like, they're all common names, you know, (laughs) you know. The very common name of Argyle, which I've only otherwise heard in South Park for the Canadian com- comedy duo. You know, common name, common name. Nah, he's great. 
so, something I appreciate about about Argyle's um, involvement is he's like he's give, he's giving levity to this this group of characters, but the two who need it the most are Jonathan, which we just talked about, and Will, who for the first time since the show began is not a damsel in distress. Thank God. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's, that's always been, that, that's always been the thing that's kind of frustrating me about his characters. You know, he's, he's always been the one they have to save, whether he's stuck in the upside down or he's um, being possessed in season two. I don't even remember anything about him in, in season three. Other than the season three plotline was terrible because for half of the season it was a plotline where he was being feeling distance from all his friends because he's in a state of arrested development. He was kidnapped for a year and then possessed by the mind flayer. Like he's had he's basically missing a year and a half of his life and he's trying to still hold on to the things that kept him with his friends and they're moving on to girls and parties and sports and stuff. And then the second half of the season, they literally never address it again so he can be a human tuning fork to find the fucking mind flare. It's just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so they, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so glad that they gave him something to do in, in this season. Did you see that they accidentally have this season uh, taking place on his birthday that apparently everyone forgot? I like that that adds another entire layer to just his whole, his plot line. Like, God, imagine doing all this dumbass shit on your birthday. Just. <laughs> I, I, I love the explanation that, that, oh, they, they just forgot about his birthday. But that seems plausible in the world. In show and out of show. I will say that the only problem I have with that ties into another plot line. So once we get to that one, I'll talk about it. But I think it's depressingly in character for Mike and Elle to totally forget it's his birthday. <laughs> yeah. I think Jonathan would remember if he wasn't high out of his mind. But it's depressingly in character for the consistently third-wheeling everyone, Mike and Eleven, to not realize it's his damn birthday. Yeah, that's, that's very true. So the other plot line, there's actually, there's actually two more. Um, oh, right. So one of them is we get to see not, o- not only how Hopper survived, but how he ended up in, in Russia in this uh, super secret prison. So Lego, I'll start, I'll start with you. A, how, how do you feel about knowing how hopper survived and b how do you feel about his arc just in general about how he survived i mean in a show full of just ridiculous supernatural stuff that seemed like the most ridiculous but okay i honestly i could not have been less interested in the whole Hopper situation. I really think he should have stayed dead in season three. And it really lowered the emotional value of season three's ending by having him survive in this really ridiculous way. David Harbour plays this character so well. 
I absolutely love him, but sometimes you got to kill a character off. And in a show that is so filled with characters, it was just this whole storyline just felt so unnecessary and completely stopped the plot. It has nothing to do with the plot that's going on in Hawkins, which the rest of the show is about. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it felt very clunky. Mm-hmm. My, my, my thing is, while I agree with a lot of that, I'm, I'm still invested because, because David Harbour still, he, he still, he still delivers a good performance. And one of my favorite scenes is the one where he's kind of, he's having a heart, a heart to heart with not, not Yuri, the other, the other guy. Um, Enzo? Yeah. Or. Um, yeah, I think it's Enzo. No, the guard. Yeah, the guard. You know, he, had, he has he has this heart to heart about his father and all all of his time his time in the army and just like his his whole his whole speech about about how he hurts the people he loves. I thought I thought he delivered that really well, but objectively, I kind of have to agree. This is like the the weakest of of all the different subplots and it's the one that i'm you know i'm i'm interested in but it doesn't it doesn't kind of belong with the rest the rest of the narrative Haley, what about you oh yeah combined with the murray joyce storyline which are kind of ball them together this is the one that i just I just could not stand it. Like first, again, for starters, like I, I can't believe he survived. I mean, on a, that's kind of the least of the problems going on with this though. Like part of why this doesn't land for me is that Hopper in season three, like really sucked. Like true, just like a lot of his characterization was bad and possessive and weird in a way that seems really inconsistent with what we'd seen of him before but we got a little nice button on the end of season three where he sends that heartfelt letter to l that kind of ties up some of the like i know i did wrong i know i i didn't do this great i know i haven't you know but i always love you all that shit so you kind of got some sense of closure where it's like oh you know he it was he wasn't the greatest but he was doing his best with a teenage daughter and he at the end of the day he always loved her cool i was also never invested in hopper and joyce as a couple or a pairing so that to me is not a narrative hook that i care particularly about and it feels very forced in this season like the defining thing we know about joyce in this entire series is how much she values her children so the fact that she would fuck off to the middle of nowhere to try and rescue a dude she's not seeing just does not make sense to me. And I think that's the biggest problem with both the Russia part and the Murray and Joyce part. Like I, I don't see, I don't understand how Hopper survived, but I also don't see him being able to come back from some of the things he did to Joyce in season three and have her still be this devoted to him. And I also don't see Joyce abandoning not only her kids, but some of the wheelers out in the middle of California with no supervision to go to Russia at the behest of a conspiracy theorist who has 
notedly fucked her over a couple of times. Like, I, it just makes no sense to me at all why this plot line happened. And like, okay, we got this nice moment where Joyce and Hopper hug. But like, again, I'm not invested in their storyline. Like, he screwed that up in season three. Pretty definitively screwed that up in season three. Like, it, it feels like when Glee would change the pairings in the show because the internet wanted them to, that's what this feels like. This feels like too many people really liked the idea of Joyce and Hopper, so they're going to brute force it into this show. It just, it's frustrating and it's boring. The plot line is beyond boring. Like there's not a whole lot of narrative thrust to it because it's so disconnected from what's happening both in Hawkins and California. So it doesn't feel like a natural progression and it kind of halts the momentum of anything happening until we get to episode seven where for some reason Russia has decided to maintain a mind flare as some sort of Roman Colosseum style fighting force to kill inmates and gulags. Like, okay, I guess that's happening now. Um, that was the most interesting part, but interesting and kind of like a what the fuck was that kind of way. Um, yeah, I really didn't like that plot line. I'll, if we want to start talking about Marie and Joyce, I have way more feelings on that side of it than Hopper's because Hopper's plot line is getting hurt breaking out of prison, being put back into prison, having a sad moment, breaking out of prison, getting sent back to prison, having a sad moment. It just kind of feels like a washing machine loop. I have so many feelings. <laughs> I did not like that plot line at all. Like, I think the most damning thing about it is you could almost completely excise it by having Russia just kidnap Joyce. There you go. They kidnap yeah. Joyce because they know she's close to L. Now everything ties in together. We don't have all, we can still get Hoffer's speech about how he ruins everything he touches, which would make a lot more sense and would feel more natural if he was telling it to Joyce. Um, and it would connect them to the ongoing plot. Yeah. Instead, we, we get more forced comic humor from Murray, who's a character I have never liked and I do not understand why he's still here. That, that's, that's always kind of been the problem with certain with certain characters who were introduced for like one season but then people liked or maybe the showrunners liked so they kept them around for longer than they need to be and yeah that's that's how we have uh murray sticking around for for this season and probably season five if he if he survives um, I just really hope they kill him. I just cannot stand him. Oh my god! I just I'm the dude's an idiot. He should have been killed last season. Oh, I'm so a Murray apologist. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> god, and he came through with that karate. It's fun. He's amazing. okay. Him, him coming through with the karate, I did not expect. Genuinely, that was kind of a nice payoff, but I. No one's going to make me like this guy, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I, I understand why, why you don't like Murray, but as, as a Brett Gelman fan, I, I just kind of accept his role in this. I, I do like Brett Gelman. I think it's a writing problem because he was Murray was introduced so weirdly and his function in every season has just been... Well, season three, it kind of made a degree of sense, but seasons two and four, he really, it doesn't make sense why he's there a lot of the time. 
Like this season, especially, he's just explaining things to Joyce that should be readily evident to her. Like when she smashes that doll, she's like, oh, there's a paper in it. He's like, read it. I'm like, she could have done all this herself. And she probably would have because she tore apart a whole town just to figure out why her magnets weren't fitting on her fridge. Right. It just it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It doesn't. Oh, God, I, for- I forgot about the magnets subplot. I kind of love that subplot. <laughs> It's, because it point, it pointed out like just how paranoid living in almost said forks like she was in Twilight in Hawkins uh, has made her. I thought it was a nice kind of way to explore Joyce, but that it went down into Hawker mad because she didn't show up to a date and it, it just got really weird. I liked the beginning of it though. Speaking speaking of um, paranoia in Hawkins, it's about time this show set like smack dab in the 80s addresses uh the saint Tan- the satanic panic mm-hmm. um, so lego you ready you ready to talk about um jason and his oh. whole crusade oh yes that uh, the actor does a good job so please note what i'm talking badly about him not the actor i hated this character in the best way because he is too realistic uh, the, the the way that that kid had future midwestern politician vibes radiating off of him so hard was painful this this mm-hmm. kid comes out basketball star I, I assume he's the captain i don't know how basketball works not gonna pretend i do so He's giving a speech and he's invoking the dead names of, of so many of the townspeople who died over summer and comparing that to like saying they need to win the basketball game. I already hate him. <laughs> and he just gets progressively worse. I do wish we had seen him and Chrissy actually have a scene together before she died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of writing that was needed and the fact that we didn't get it, it his... I don't know if he actually really loved her or if he's just mad his girlfriend died or if he actually cares or if he's a sociopath. I can't quite get a read on that. But the turn he takes when he, after he's going after Eddie and he actually sees his, his friend die in front of him where he he's deeply in belief that the Hellfire Club really is working with the devil and Eddie's a vessel for the devil is, I want to say it's insane, but again, it's so believable. I re- And I know people are calling this out for the satanic panic in the 80s, but as someone who went to high school in a small town in the Midwest, that didn't end in the 80s. That's still very real. The actor does a great job of portraying that, I, I don't know, severity of the character and the intensity he has and the charisma but man i really need him to get killed really Same. need him to get killed he like of of all of all the character deaths he definitely has it coming the most by the way the actor's name is um mason die and mm-hmm. yeah i for for playing that sort of like that sort of like i i i I'm I'm only assuming that he's like a devout a devout Christian, just like the way the way he's so he's so like convinced that this is the devil's work and and Jason is is like the vessel for 
all of these terrible these terrible crimes like yeah that that all that all just adds up Haley would you would you think of of this subplot I thought it was really I think it was necessary at this point like we're at the point we're four seasons in and at least 25 teenagers have died in the past two years in this town like it was starting to stretch credulity that somebody wasn't thinking that something supernatural was going on outside of our main cast but from a historical perspective I really I like that that's the angle they took and I also think it helps that with this with Jason they're kind of evoking in a lot of different ways kind of the the yuppie sociopath which isn't really a character type we've seen a whole lot and it comes up it's a character type that actually comes up a couple of times in this season like Jason has some very strong Patrick Bateman vibes going on like speeches about morality and shit that he clearly doesn't believe in just the general appearance of him the clean cut all-american guy um the complete disconnect he has mentally with who his girlfriend is and who she actually was I think I'll play devil's advocate that I I think him not having a scene with Chrissy actually works really effectively because it does show us that he literally has no he has no idea what she was actually like and was I actually wish we'd gotten more about what Chrissy felt about him because it felt like her spiraling out of control was all related to her family and her mother I would have liked to have seen something about like how does she actually feel about Jason like does Jason feed into her insecurities and is making her a target for Vecna does she think Jason sees her at all for what she is? Was she pregnant? Like, I know the show is probably not going for that based on everything coding and eating disorder, but was Chrissy pregnant is probably a pretty, probably something they should have resolved <laughs> because there was a lot of similar framing there between bulimia and pregnancy. But I also think the actor is really impressive because that's such a, that's a role that can totally turn into scenery chewing and You've got to compete with pe- with other characters like Billy who are able to make their menace so like ominous and tense and whatnot. And he does a, the actor does an extremely good job. I think the progression of the plot line is one of the few that actually works with the truncated season because where we end with that plot line is basically like the entire town is going to brutalize these five kids if something is not done immediately. And I think that's a great place to leave the menace of that plot line. I also, I like the approach to the satanic panic element there. So it's not, it's not so much the psychological abuses that happened in a lot of these cases where kids are testifying about completely nonsensical things and everyone just got swept up in a panic. It's like, it's, it's very real. It's a very real assumption for these people to make. And because we already had budding Patrick Bateman uh, demonstrate his oratory skills, it makes sense that a speech from someone like him would inflame this kind of anger and viciousness in a town that's been so brutally beat down by so many different sides over the past couple of years. Yeah, I really liked his character. I, I also liked that his character gave us an outlet to see, uh, to have Lucas build character because Lucas has been one of the most underutilized characters in the whole show I think and Mm -hmm. this season gives him a lot to do both with uh both with uh not remembering this character's name now the 
captain that we've been talking about um but also with max as well like he feels the most realistically trapped i think of all of the characters like he's he's trying to make new friends because he doesn't want to he doesn't want to stay in the same bucket that his friends are staying in he he wants to make new friends he wants to improve himself he wants to be something better he thinks he finds something better but it's way worse and he wants regardless of if his relationship works out he wants his friends to be safe so there's a lot of interesting push and pulls with lucas that i think this this captain is helping to bring out too so yeah no i i agree with i agree with that that um every everything about about jason and and all of his uh teammates it does give lucas a bit more a bit more meat on on the bones of of his character arc but i think the standout of the of like the returning cast well there's two the first one is obviously lucas's uh sister erica who is just she she's a she's a badass in in every way imaginable um, I'm so glad they figured out what to do with her character. She was nigh insufferable in season three, and they kind of figured out how to rein it in. Yeah, and 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 just the fact that she gets to be more directly involved in the main plot is it it's it's fun it's fun to have her be a more active role and not just the stereotypical little sister. Uh, Lego, how do you how do you feel about Erica's involvement? Oh, Erica is my favorite character. She's the best kind of sass. And I love that she's definitely one of the more important characters because she's in this really interesting role this season where she's kind of being a voice of reason for the adults and trying to defend the rest of the, the kids in Hawkins. It's not working very well, but she's at least trying. And she's coming in with a lot of sense. And I think a lot more people listen to her over, let's say, Dustin, who everyone kind of ignores. So, uh, yeah, absolutely love her. And the the actor, I think it's Pariah Ferguson, is yep. doing just a phenomenal job. Yeah, she she she's like the bridge between the two generations, even 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 though she's like the youngest she's she's just enough removed from like the core cast that she she can be that voice of reason and then the other standout obviously is sadie sink doing a bang-up job as as max who is going through so much trauma after what happened at the end of season three and would would all, would all of us here agree that episode four is one of the best episodes of this season, if not the series as a whole? Yeah, this is the best. That's the best episode of the season by far. I thought 100%. seven was the best. Um, I hear everyone saying four. Like, it was good. I, I, it just didn't wow me like, like episode seven did. To be fair, I think seven is the number two for me. Same. I just the, the power of that running up that hill sequence is so strong, I think. Yeah, I no. didn't know that that song had come out in the 80s. There was a lot of songs like that. Where I was like, wow, that's an 80s song. I think that tripped me up a little bit. 
is 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 that is that because the like the remix came out like a few a few years ago, so everyone just kind of assumes that it's a more it's a more modern song. Yeah, I don't ever heard the cover. There's been a couple of covers that have come out in that came out in like the two thousands. I think the placebo one. If you were into if you were an emo kid, the placebo one was a big deal. That was how I first heard that song. And then the remix that you're talking about, that was a big deal uh, just a couple of years ago. The Running Up the Hill also has a timeless quality to it. Like the production of it is extremely modern. It feels like Sophie or uh, the late Sophie or yes. like a Caroline Polachek could have written something like this. So I totally get why people are like, whoa, what's this? And like streaming the hell out of it because it's really timeless. But I also get why people are like, this is an 80s song really well it 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 it, it works i either way for for that for that scene yeah i uh regardless of what episode is the best that sequence i think is the best like just i really thought they were gonna kill her i really thought she was going to die and it's ridiculous because it's like i've seen the trailer she's in scenes that haven't happened yet but the way they constructed that whole sequence with the music and the sound editing and the visuals and and uh, not enough things can be said about Sadie Sink, who like every season there's like a different acting standout. And my God, she is she's just doing so much here to convey like the deep wellspring of pain inside of her. Like she's she had to deal with an abusive stepfather. She lost a brother that she has like, understandable extremely complex feelings about uh she had to watch him die in an extremely brutal manner at the same time she had to watch her best friend have a slug just completely removed from her leg and all kinds of other horrific shit she doesn't feel like anyone can relate to her and she's dealing with a chronic illness that is turns out has been brought on by Vecna like that's a lot to convey for any actor much less a young actor and she nails it she really nails it yeah no she 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 is just spectacular in this season now the one the one subplot we haven't gotten to yet is 11 where we where we left off last season she lost her powers um no longer has her abilities and she has left hawkins to move in with with the buyers and naturally because this is high school and she's kind of different of course they got to show her getting bullied because you know the Stephen King comparisons are still kind of there but how do but how do you guys feel about her her training sequences in I guess what they're calling it project Nina uh Haley we'll start we'll start with you uh, so before we get too far into that, I want to spend approximately five hours talking about how Will kept acting like he was going to pick the worst possible kind to come out to Mike at every opportunity. Like, 11 brain, someone with a skate? Oh, time for some really deep eye contact. I'm like, Will, no, this is a bad time to do that. And it was constant. I, I, I actually really enjoyed that element of it, where it's just like, he's being so blatantly obvious and no one is paying attention to him. <laughs> like I just really wanted to bring that up because it's just I I know it'll probably get resolved in the last two episodes but it was starting to get really comical 
how like anytime anything bad happened to Eleven, Will would be like looking at her like, oh no, not again. And then he'd see Mike and be like, oh my God, it's Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Will, (laughs) focus on the task at hand. Will, I understand you find him attractive. So does the internet. Like just get, get back to what Eleven just brained a girl with a skate, figure it out. The Project Nina stuff though was, I think, interesting. It really picked up in the last two episodes once I started figuring out like, oh, right, the orderly is obviously Vecna. There's something deeper going on here. We haven't heard anything about Eleven suggesting that she caused a massacre. So this like this new bit of information is like suspect anyways. But I was, and also just seeing Brenner again, I was like, oh, fuck that guy. Why is he here? And I really appreciate that the show clearly is not trying to redeem him in any way. Because I was worried that's where it was going. But no, it's very clear that uh, Owens is like, we don't want you here. The only reason you're here is because you're the only person that can actually help this girl. And the second we sense that you're doing something off, you're gone. And he already got close to that line anyways. I was like, okay, I appreciate that. And it's interesting to have to have Eleven confront her abuser again to try and save everyone she loves. Like, there's a lot of interesting metaphors for dealing with buried pain in this in this season. Like, with Max and the music and freeing herself from Vecna. Just Vecna in general. Everything with the Creels. Like, thematically, it's... I, I don't like that Brenner's back because dude's a fucking asshole. But I like that we're more deeply exploring this with Eleven. Like, I would say for the past two seasons, Eleven's kind of plot line has been to get caught up in some weird machinations so that she can't just solve the problem immediately with the season, you know? And that gets a little old. I appreciate that her not having her powers has led to her confronting her history of being bullied, her history that has always framed her as a victim and one of and one that violently lashes out and blames her for fighting back against people who have done way worse to her and then actually allowing her to understand like the circumstances of how she got to where she is and the memory she's buried and what she needs to do to act to kind of overcome still the deep shame and and feelings of like the self-loathing, the calling yourself a monster and everything. It seems like the way the season is going, it's setting, it, setting her up to actually kind of be the triumphant hero that the writing lit, lazily let her be at the end of seasons two and three. So I'm in, I, I definitely want to see what happens when she fully regains the use of her powers because we're seeing flickers of it. And the season again... <laughs> I just cannot say enough worse things about where this season cuts off. I swear to God. Like, just just put the whole thing up. I don't understand it. <laughs> Let Lego, is this the reason why episode seven is is your favorite? Episode seven is definitely my favorite, specifically for Jamie Campbell Bauer's performance. Just utterly mesmerizing. I, I thought he really blew it out of the park that's not an expression but i'm going to maintain it uh yeah he did a phenomenal job and the whole thing was just 
so interesting. And I did like that we kind of just, we mainly focused on that storyline and the Hawkins storyline. We didn't see the kids in California at all. We still went to Russia, but I kind of fast forwarded through that, to be honest, to just stick to this episode. I just thought it was edited and put together in a way that was a lot more interesting than uh, the first six episodes for me. But uh, kind of what Haley was saying to go a little bit back about uh, Will and being obvious. I think the writing in terms of what's going on with Will in this season is horrible. <laughs> and worse, like the interviews that Duffer Brothers have been giving, I it's just kind of making me rage. I want to flip a table. Like at, at the end of the day, they they really better resolve things in these next two ep- issue or issues episodes with him or I'm going to be deeply upset. I I can I can understand that because it's they're 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 dancing around the bush too much when it comes to Will's sexuality. Either either say he is or say he isn't. I I don't really agree with with the idea of his sexuality being like a reveal like you know like revealing the identity of of like a a villain his sexuality should have just been part of his character like from the start or maybe 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 not because in the first two seasons like like the kids were you know busy being kids and dealing with all of the upside down stuff but as as they're getting older and you know figuring out their own identities yeah that really should have been addressed sooner yeah i i definitely agree with that if they don't if they don't commit to something at the end of this season it's like the biggest queer baiting crock of shit since sherlock at this point like the dude brought an alan turing project to school like i there's coding and then there's like coding but i I also don't want this to turn into a thing where Will and Mike have the obvious talk about it and then Will dies because that also feels like it could be a possibility. I'm just like, uh, he's got he's got the sad painting of sad. This is not co- this is not this is not seem like it's gonna go in a good direction. Honestly, I feel like they the one moment where Will's inappropriate eye gazes could have worked is when they were both sitting on that car and talking about stuff and it's like they should have just ended this point there and then so that the rest of the season is them working together to get 11 because it's pretty obvious from a character perspective that both of them can sense the elephant in the room or that there is an elephant in the room at least Mike's not bright so I'm gonna gonna caveat that maybe he somehow has not picked up on this but they need to do something with it like at this point like I, I don't want to give the uh, at the same time I want to give the Duffer brothers the benefit of the doubt that they don't want to spoil anything for the last two episodes but also don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt because I think every supernatural fan knows what oh it's what you think actually means but yeah like it's something they've been weaving in since season three and they just need, they need to pull the trigger on it, regardless of how it ends, or not regardless of how it ends, because if they pull the trigger on it and kill Will, that's just a really bad message, but they need to pull the trigger on it regardless, 
and it's kind of sad coming off of the season with uh, Robin where they actually did handle her sexuality fairly well and are continuing to handle it fairly well. But poor Will, he's stuck with this bowl cut. He's got terrible plot lines every season. And this one actually has the potential to be a little interesting, but it's like they are. They're treating it like it needs to be some big reveal. It's like, it's not a reveal. Like the people who are attuned to be able to see this reveal already know it's coming. And the people who don't, like, I'm sorry, I don't know how you don't figure this out at this point. Like, it's just, just let it happen, Christ. Also, you know, like, shouldn't be a reveal. That should not be a reveal. It's 2022, Duffer Brothers. You, you make, t- you make television. Like, you're, you're cued in to what people say and how they talk about TV series, and should absolutely know better than to make that a reveal. So either they're queer baiting, or they're just doing a terrible job of being human beings. <laughs> Yeah. I, I I really want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, kind of like what you said, the like the the bar for representation has risen exponentially high. I know I bring this up every opportunity, but for for as much as much hot water as Disney has been in in other regards, the Owl House is still probably the best for that demographic in terms of. LGBT uh, representation and right now Stranger Things is like at least 10 steps below that now Um, also sorry I just want to cut in I want to make it clear when I was talking about like reveal I don't mean like making it a huge plot point I mean Will revealing it to Mike because it feels like that's where that's gearing towards I agree this should not be a fucking thing to turn the entire plot on but that's kind of where we're going. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess. Mo- moving on to another another point of discussion. Um, something I kind of brought up earlier. The the fact that this that this season is being split in a honestly kind of awkward fashion. Ear- earlier, Lego and I were kind of talking behind the scenes, debating the difference between the the Netflix binge model and and the more traditional weekly release and I was kind of curious do you think do you think this season of Stranger Things should have been released just all at once or would this have benefited from like something that Amazon does where they'll give you the first three episodes and then follow it up weekly uh Lego I'll, I'll let you start first uh, I actually think there's a Netflix has done this before, and I think it's a good compromise. And it's similar to what they did with this, but not quite the same. Um, so I know they did this with, um, oh my gosh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, where they released like the first five episodes and then they waited um, to like the next month. So people would have to pay for a full month of their service to release the next five episodes. Um, I think something like that is fine. I do prefer binge model. If it's weekly, I absolutely forget about it. Like for Amazon Prime, The Boys just came out. I'm just going to wait till it's all out and watch it all at once. If people, I know people who are watching this season of Stranger Things uh, one episode a week. I mean, honestly, however you want to watch it is fine, provided I guess you don't care about spoilers. Watch it however you want. By the time next season comes out, you will have watched it, and how you watched it kind of doesn't matter. So it really just hinges on 
what's the best model for the company and considering, you know, how many people tuned in to watch or how many hours of watch. I think this is the biggest premiere weekend they've ever had. And I'm looking, I think they said they had 287 million hours watched and I divided it by the length of the show. So that means like 31 million households watched it. If my math is right, it might not be. I'm not a mathematician. Um, so that's, that's a, I mean, a lot of people are watching this and I don't mind like the waiting, like the one month to ensure that, you know, people are paying the next month to see the second part of the season or whatever. It's fine. It's, I, it, again, it's a month and I, I don't like not binging. So this works for me very well, personally. Haley, what about you? So um, just given uh, the, st- the state of Netflix right now, I think if they were going to do an experiment with releasing things weekly, it should have been this. That w- I think that might have, they seem very married to the model they created and kind of came up with a compromise that doesn't really benefit their creators or them. Like they did have a huge number of eyeballs on this because this is like their premiere series at this point. But I think this would have been the perfect time to experiment with a weekly drop, especially looking at something like what Apple, uh, Apple TV had with Severance, where so much of Stranger Things is dependent on the I need to watch this now, the next episode now factor, which it does benefit binging for sure, but Severance just keeps growing and growing and growing. Like I hadn't heard of it when it started and it's become a pretty and a pretty intensely popular show uh, with similar kind of, I don't want to say post-apocalyptic, but like current era kind of technology and supernatural fears and anxieties attached to it. Personally, I'm not the biggest binge watcher. So I've never been like wanting people to not put things all up in a batch because I just know that's not for me and I'll get to it when I get to it. Purely from the perspective of Netflix has a problem and they need to fix it. Like that's what their executives are thinking. I wonder why they came to this compromise because it doesn't it because it really does cut off the series at a weird point like there is some narrative fulfillment in the last moments being us seeing the full picture of how Vecna came to be but there's a lot of stuff that's kind of left hanging in a way that you can tell the creators didn't want it hanging mainly Nancy's plot line like it's pretty obvious they did not (laughs) want you to they didn't want Nancy to be that much of a cliffhanger because she's in the middle of the episode her plot ends in the middle of the episode but like I guess they I would like to know how they came to this decision to drop the seven episodes they had and then two a month two about a month later like that it seems like an odd place to cut the series and then put the rest on unless it turns out the last two episodes are like two and a half hours long each, then I'll be like, okay, that I get why they did that now. But I think I'm I'm because I'm looking up the run times for those last two episodes, just, just to confirm whether, whether or not that is the reason, because Mm -hmm. well, well, I can, well, I can kind of see from, from a narrative perspective, the fact that seven ends with 
with like the reveal that the orderly is Vecna. And I can see I can see that being like a a natural sort of um breakpoint. I also think, you know, with the other storylines being unresolved, it would have just it would have been better to just put it out all at once. I think I, sorry, I think they just to wrap that up, I think they just needed to commit to one extreme or another, honestly. Like they needed to be like okay, things are going, our ratings are not doing great. We're releasing this once a week to build up our subscriber base across a couple of months, or we're dropping this whole thing and seeing if it can mark a spike or a change in our numbers for the next couple of months. The way they did it now, I'm not quite sure what they were aiming for. So the Duffer Brothers did say that uh, they released what is essentially the first two acts of season four, and the last two episodes are the third act and that was the cutting point but the the issue with stranger things is that this is essentially just a i, I don't know like 12 hour movie basically so there's never going to be a good point to say like okay divide it here because that's not what mm -hmm. it is it's it's a very long movie and that's why i also think stranger things specifically stranger things doesn't really work well with the week to week release date the way that almost every other television show would work perfectly fine with yeah that, that that's a good point and as i yeah that's nice. and as i kind of described earlier whenever whenever i'm watching like a new season of stranger things i have i have to finish it in like like that day i i don't i don't think i can say watch one night three episodes and then two the next day and then so on and so forth if I'm if I'm like invested in the storyline, which I am, then I have to just see it through that day. So any anything anything we haven't brought up yet about this season? Uh well, I kind of wanted to mention a little bit about Vecna versus uh Dr. Brenner. <laughs> I know Haley said that they thought that um it didn't look like Dr. Brenner was getting absolved um, of his wrongdoings, but I kind of feel like it really does look like that by having Vecna be this kind of sociopathic character. It does sort of look like Dr. Brenner's kind of being vindicated in his action when really the dude is like abducting, isolating and torturing children. He should be the ultimate bad guy. Like no one should be worse than him. He's the, he's the big bad. <laughs> Um, and and he should be the reason that Vecna is a big bad. I think that's just a more interesting storyline there rather than, oh, this kid's weird, so he's going to weird and be a serial killer, well, a supernatural serial killer, I guess, when he could have been this, like, tortured human being who just really went down a bad path due to trauma. I just think that's so much more fascinating and it creates a situation where Elle is going to be a lot have a lot more reservation about you know whatever the final battle is going to end up being between them I don't know I just I don't I think Dr. Brenner really needs to die because he's awful I will agree, agree. I agree with that <laughs> um I was just thinking perhaps if they spent less time on these um more like like outside subplots 
they could have given like Dr. Brenner a little bit more substance other than just being the sort of necessary evil in order to in order to stop Vecna. Like if if he was more I mean he's 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 already like the worst person ever. But mm-hmm. the, like the, the the way it's coming off in this in this season, it does kind of seem like his like yes, he's he's evil, but he's kind of being shoved aside for um to develop Vecna as as like the big bad. When I think he I I, I think it might it might have been a, just a little bit more interesting if he was like more if he was like if he had more of a hand in um creating Vecna, so to speak. Yeah, I think they needed to make more of the subtext, actual text in the show. I'll totally agree with that. I think because I had I had actually I watched the show before watching season four. And I think with everything we know about Brenner fresh in your mind, you're like, oh God, yeah, obviously he had something to do with this, you know, number one, it's that he did all this, but it's not, we don't get enough of like us of being reminded who Brenner is to kind of maybe fully carry that off. Like definitely could have used more explanation there. Actually, Haley, since you since you just rewatched um, season one, mm-hmm. I I don't I don't I genuinely don't remember. Did um, did Brenner die in the first season, or did he just kind of go off into the sunset? I they gosh, now I'm like oh no, now I can't remember, and I just watched this, but I'm pretty sure they pretty heavily implied he was dead. So they had him being attacked by the Demogorgon. Um, That's but what I thought. They don't show the rule, his body. Yeah, generally the rule is that if you don't see a body, he's not dead. Right. I wish that's, Stranger that's Things a good po- would That's commit. a good point. I wish Stranger Things would commit more to just killing people you don't see the bodies for. Hopper, Brenner, it would just work out better in the end for everybody. <laughs> yes. They, they, do, they do seem to abuse that uh, no, no body, no confirmation rule. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I have I have left that we haven't mentioned is um, hashtag justice for Barb. What like what are, one of the, one of the scarier moments in in the season is is Nancy finally finally seeing Barb in the upside down. Like who like I... who who knew who knew Barb would be like still such a uh, a standout character like three seasons later. I I like the way that this season is confronting Nancy's guilt over that better than when she confronted her guilt over it in season two. But I still wonder why that's so well we're returning to. Especially since we've already returned to it. Like that's yeah, that's really it. Like Nancy should have <laughs> Nancy's whole season long plot line is her feeling the pull between California with Jonathan and Hawkins with Steve and everyone else. So for the, this last episode to be like, oh, right, remember when you thought you killed your best friend is just really jarring. You would think it would, that Vecna would be preying more on her 
guilt over not wanting, clearly not wanting to be with Jonathan anymore, but not wanting to pull the trigger on that either. It just felt a little narratively muddled. I don't, I, mean, I don't disagree with it in, in theory. I just wish, I wish there had been something laid down for it in this season to make us understand why it's popping up again. I mean, for me, I, yeah, she did have the whole thing in season two where they're getting just hashtag justice for Barb, but I mean, her friend died and any teenager seeing their rotting corpse of a friend would be so traumatic. And honestly, I, I, I don't know where the majority um, of people are on this. I really don't care about her and Jonathan. And if they cut to one more thing of her and Jonathan, I would have run my head through a wall. So that's, I was happy that fair. they avoided that. But actually, you know what? No one's ever talking about justice for Benny who died in season one and they made it look like a suicide just because he tried to help Elle. And now some basketball players are vandalizing his restaurant, which is closed down, which I think is far more upsetting. Justice for Benny. I miss yes. Benny. Yeah, I uh, I fully agree with you that I uh, Nancy and Jonathan are also extremely played out. That's a, uh, I can't believe we're going back to the Nancy, Jonathan, Steve love triangle. Like that, I just, oh my God. I was like, I cannot believe we're doing this right now. Keep them all single. Who cares? <laughs> yes. Pair I mean, her off with Robin if you must pair her off with somebody. But like, oh my God, I feel like we've done some variation of this plot every single season and it never gets any more interesting. It never does. Yeah, I actually agree with that. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, there, there were moments in the season where I was like, hmm, Nancy and Robin together, question mark? Like that, that would have at least been something different. But nope, we got to do, we got to do the love triangle again. I will say this, my man Steve didn't get the shit kicked out. No, he did get the shit kicked out of him. What's wrong with me? He did. <laughs> I was, I was about to be like character development, but no, he just got the shit kicked out of him by bats. At least it wasn't angry humans this time, I suppose. Poor Progress. I, I don't like how many death flags they're throwing up for Steve. Steve is my favorite character. If they kill Steve, I'm, I'm pretty much going to be, I will be a distressed widow. Poor Steve. But I don't, I really don't want Steve to die. He brings something that this show desperately needs, which is just an overwhelming sense of not following and failure he's he's wonderful he's he's hilariously bad at what he's chosen to do with his life but he's endearing about it and also just his interplay with dustin has gotten so good and it, it gives it has it gives both of them something to do because dustin was also by season two kind of feeling like why is dustin still here and that kind of put a jolt into both of those characters that relationship and i think it's been great for the show yeah i if if not if nothing else this season has done a really good job of um mix mixing up the character dynamics everything from mike and will on the stoner comedy adventure in california to the main plot in hawkins to well well, it doesn't necessarily work. I can at least kind of see what they're doing with with like the Hopper stuff. 
but all, like ad, as a whole, I think season four is is doing a lot more interesting stuff with these characters than than in previous in previous seasons. It's not it's not always great. We've certainly um, we've certainly expressed our our issues, but over, overall, I'm I'm just a huge fan of season four so far. So we're coming to the end of this podcast. Lego, any final thoughts? I mean, final thoughts. It's a beautiful looking show. Fantastic characters. This season is a standout amongst the four seasons. And I'm so, so excited to see those last two ridiculously long episodes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think episode nine is like two and a half hours or, or it's something, a two, something two hours like minutes. okay so you so it is so they probably did break it up because the last two episodes are just ridiculous in length is that what it is you think yeah i think okay. so mm-hmm. stop okay uh, so Haley, your final thoughts on stranger things season four uh like i said at the beginning i think it's the best of the season so far uh the characters with like a couple of exceptions they really find ways to make them work they're not shuffling any to the side anymore uh the interplay between the storylines is really well done i didn't get a chance to mention it but i like also the interplay of bringing in new elements to the supernatural mythology this season but also building on the ones from seasons before uh some of the previous seasons have felt kind of like standalone things and they make a real effort here to kind of bridge together, like, what is the full upside down? What lives here? How, how does L fit into this world? And I think that makes it a lot more effective, knowing that this is all part of one singular entity and journey that's interplayed with each other. Um, it's not perfect. No Seasons of Stranger Things has ever been perfect. But if you don't mind fast forwarding through some stuff that's not relevant, or uh, if you really like Joyce and Hopper, you'll be fine. Um, I think definitely, definitely a strong reminder of why this show picked up so much and why it's such a cultural phenomenon. Indeed. Yeah, I, I think if, if, I was gonna, if I was gonna rank the seasons um, so far, again, my mind, my mind could very well change depending on how the final two episodes um, end, but so far I would go one, then four, then three, then two. On the whole, I'm just deeply invested in the like the world building, how how they're continuing to expand upon the lore of the upside down. The char- like the, the character stuff is all great. Well, mostly. And really just like the perf- like the performances this season have been spectacular. Overall, I just I just love this show and I'm very much looking forward to these last two episodes. And and even and even then, we af- after this, we still have one more season to go. So yeah, there's there's still there's still a lot more story to tell somehow. And I'm looking forward to how this all concludes. 
But until then, Lego, thank, first of all, thank you for joining us. And where can everyone find you online? Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I could predominantly be found on the YouTubes at Legoland 13, which is L-E-G-A-U-L-T-L-A-N-D, numbers one, three. And Haley, where can everyone find you or not find you? Don't look for me. I'm in the upside down. You, I've disappeared from all things. Um, no, as always, uh, I'm in the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group. If you would like to debate me on the merits of the Joyce Hopper plotline, uh, that's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. We're also on YouTube. You can also find us on Podchaser. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need an escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Marquee. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.